Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm your host, Paul Niefer, and today I'm, I'm going to welcome Kelsey Scott, and uh, she is based in South Dakota. She was actually a Top Producer of the Year uh, awardee last year as far as she was in the running for it. And Kelsey, how are things going in South Dakota? Well, it's cold, but things are going pretty good. <laughs> I can't really complain. And it is South Dakota, so we expect frigid cold temperatures in January. Actually, I was, uh, I'm was i at the Denver airport today. Yesterday, I flew from my home, whatever, from Pasco to Denver. And during Sunday night, we had about 40 mile an hour winds for probably six hours. And we had about 15 to 20 inches of snow on our ground. And all it oh, did goodness. was move all that snow and put it right in my 500 foot uh, driveway to get out to the <laughs> highway so I could go to the airport. Uh, and we have a tractor, which easily would have gotten rid of the snow, but it was actually at the dealership being worked on. So oh, yeah. um, so we finally got a neighbor that was able to come down. And uh, actually, my wife calls him our farm son. So he's able to come yeah. by and get it all plowed out. But uh, I, I know what happens. And actually, speaking of South Dakota, my dad was born in Selby, which is, you know, okay. in the, up near the North Dakota, sim, I think close to the Mississippi or Missouri River, excuse me. How it's far is your, how far is your ranch from that area? Um, Selby is about an 80 mile drive. It's not okay. too far at all. Well, and then the Dakota's 80 miles is not very far, so. No, no, it's just a little <laughs> jaunt. Well, let's go ahead and get started with a beef, uh, excuse me, beef, uh, I guess it is a ranch, but a brief background on you. Uh, what What's your history? Yeah, you bet. Well, I am a fourth generation cow-calf producer on the DX Ranch. We are around a 7,200-acre uh, ranching operation in the northern Great Plains right along the banks of the Missouri River on the Cheyenne River Sioux Indian Reservation. Um, I often do like to mention though that I <clears throat> believe to be of the 125th generation to get a chance to try to steward these landscapes. Um, I'm an enrolled citizen of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe. Um, my family and I run a primarily black Angus base to our cow herd, but we do have quite a bit of um, of influence from the Brangus industry as well okay. as the Salir and um, even had a little bit of Semmental cross. Really our goal is to try to match a cow that's fit for the environment of South Dakota <laughs> and yeah. the river breaks that we produce on. Um, we ha also have a registered quarter horse operation here on the ranch. Um, that was really my grandfather's kind of pride and joy and the legacy that he left behind for us to carry forward. And we really believe in any of our livestock, um, whether it be horses or cattle or the pasture pigs that I'm going to try to get my husband convinced to let me have next summer, um, <laughs> we, we believe in disposition first. And we want an animal that is docile and wants to be around the humans just as much as the humans want to be around them. And um, we found that that has made the humans want to be around each other a little bit more too, <laughs> with yeah, the livestock yeah. easier to handle. <laughs> well, oh. we, 
When you're speaking of pigs, uh, my wife and I, because we have a small ranch, a 200-acre ranch, and we raised a couple pigs a couple years ago. And she told me, we did that once, that's enough. So, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, the pigs were not necessarily her favorite animal to raise. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, yeah, we'll see what I can get fin finagled. <laughs> but uh, so you, you're running, uh, like I say, about a 7,200 acre uh, ranch and about, is that, is that primarily a cow-calf operation or is it a stalker or a combination of both? Great question. Yeah, we're we're a cow calf stalker operation um, combined. We market the majority of our uh, animals through our grass fed beef business, which is a direct to direct to consumer beef business known as DX Beef. Okay. Um, we are in a really unique transition phase. Um, I, I guess you could say. Um, in being able to build out and expand our market for DX beef. Um, really, our primary focus is always improving the land from, from one day to the next. And we've found that, honestly, having the diversity in the um, cattle ages and having multiple marketable opportunities for the livestock animals that we have um, on the ranch have been able to um, really empower us to make management decisions that are even more uh, focused in on what the land is needing as opposed to what the market's demanding. So when you say direct consumer, uh, my memory, I think uh, in that South Dakota is unique and they have sort of a different butchering process or regulation. Does that, I'm trying to remember, does that help you, hurt you or go through how you're able to take your beef from the ranch and actually get it directly to the consumer. Yeah, so we um, raise the animals here on the ranch. Um, when they're ready for slaughter, we've secured state inspected slaughter facility capacity at Brock's Butcher Block in Oneida, South Dakota. They do a tremendous job with processing and packaging our product for us. And then we have an online marketplace, dxbeef.com where individuals are able to place their order and select their pickup location at a number of our um, pre-scheduled pickup locations really across the state. Uh, because we are state inspected, we are restricted to selling only within the state of South Dakota, um, but you work with what you've got. Yeah. And um, our, our primary goal with starting DX Beef was to ensure our livestock had a um, really a adjust meaning in this in this life. Um, it, when you are beholden to selling your livestock only across the scale at a sale barn, um, you really have no connection to where they're going to be going and what the rest of their life is going to look like. And you don't know when or how or where they're going to enter into the food system. And we are, um, the Cheyenne River Sioux Indian Reservation actually encompasses two of the most remote counties um, that are identified as food deserts in the entire nation. And we're thinking to ourselves several years back, man, we're raising what we believe to be some of the best meat uh, cattle in the country. And we don't have any of our community members eating the meat that's being raised right outside their back door. This is a broken system and we got to try to fix it. And so DX Beef is my family's effort to try to do that. Um, we started with processing just a couple of head here or there back in 2018. And um, I often joke that that was back when I was bootlegging beef because I didn't quite understand all of the 
um, restrictions and yep. rules and regulations in place. But um, thankfully, with the great support that the IEC and the American Indian Foods Program was able to offer me, as well as several great colleagues here that are in, in that portion of the industry in South Dakota, um, we're, we're legitimate now. <laughs> and we primarily do um, either doorstop delivery, depending on the size, or pick up locations in several cities that are, you know, <laughs> what are considered cities out here in South Dakota yep. are probably, you know, you blink your eye, you drive through them for most people across the country. Um, or we also do a couple of farmers markets throughout the market season. So in by cities, I'm guessing like what Rapid City, Sioux Falls, Aberdeen, <clears throat> those type of cities, or are we even yep. talking smaller cities? So those are a couple of the cities that we deliver to on typically a monthly basis. Um, but we also, we, we primarily serve, um, you know, 80% or more of our product sells right here on Cheyenne River. Mm. So we're okay. serving the two, the two counties that um, really inspired us to get started in trying to be a part of fixing the broken food system. And so we're delivering to Eagle Butte, Timberlake, Swiftbird, a lot more smaller uh, communities uh, than cities. Well, and I'm I'm used to smaller communities. I'm I'm not necessarily comparing those two to ours, but my county of Columbia County in Washington is about 3,500 people, and the county next to us, Garfield County, is only about 1,200 people. So, is are those two counties even smaller than that, or are they about in that size uh, range? I don't even know what the. <laughs> And see, an interviewer is never supposed to ask a question that the person uh, doesn't know the answer to. You didn't prep me for this. (laughs) I did not. Yeah, I was just (laughs) sort of curious because, you know, know, I think the perception of Washington State sometimes, uh, we get this all the time. Hey, they automatically assume that everything that we are, we're surrounded by green trees. We have a lot of rain and we're Seattle. And the reality is, you know, two thirds of the state is east of the Cascade Mountains, mm-hmm. might get lucky to get 10 inches of rain. Now where I'm at, it's a little bit uh, more than that because I'm in the foothills of the Blue Mountains, but uh, uh, it's just funny how the perceptions, and of course there's certainly perceptions about South Dakota too, so. Absolutely, so thankfully though, I do have Google at my fingertips. And um, Dewey County is around 2,445 square miles. We have a population of 5,800 people. Okay. And then we have Zeebok County, which is uh, 1,971 square miles with a population of 2,700 people. Well, see, those two counties are bigger than the two counties I was talking about on on my <laughs> end. So, you know, that's that's uh, that's not too bad. Although our counties are smaller. I was going to say, I bet your counties are much smaller than the 3.2 well, million acres out here. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say much smaller. I mean, we're uh, we're about 12, 1500 square miles. I think something like that. You know, our our state's about 68,000 square miles, and we only have 39 counties. So uh, okay. we got some decent sized counties, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well. So you're in that transition mode where I'm guessing you still have some of your stock go directly to a to a, maybe a feedlot or to a, go to a barn. Uh, what what's your percentage now where you're actually able to do the uh, direct to consumer? Um, in 2020, we um, retained more than half of our calf crop to put through our direct to consumer beef. Mm program. So um, we definitely um, scaled up fast. Um, 
as we prepare to continue to make management decisions as you know defined by what the land is telling us um, we'll have to decide what that growth or transition looks for us like here on the ranch we definitely want to make sure that we are um, maintaining our commitment to promoting soil health first um, the only way we can brag about healthy and nutrient dense meat is if we've got healthy and nutrient dense soil to be raising it on so <laughs> does that yeah. involve more rotational grazing a faster rotational grazing or what 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 type of mm -hmm. uh, techniques are you trying to use to accomplish that you bet yeah so we have um the very ranch that i currently um call home uh when my grandfather was um the the head honcho on the place so to speak he there was about four pastures across the entire landscape um in my dad's generation we got that up to closer to 12 or 14 permanent pastures by doing some cross fencing and um, conservation infrastructure development my uh in the past few years since i've returned home from college we're now up to about 18 permanent pastures and we use a lot of temporary um, electric hot wire fencing to make those um, permanent pastures broken down even further into more semi-permanent um, paddocks, if you will, uh, to kind of centralize and focus in the grazing, but more than anything to embrace a longer rest period on everything else that they're not grazing. So we're, we're to the point now where we've kind of got the infrastructure developed where I think we would really like it to kind of go even deeper. Um, the most limiting factor is likely going to just be the labor and the time that it takes to yep. um, leapfrog those mile long cross fences every couple of days. But uh, some of the practices that we have been looking towards is a, a more instinctive migratory grazing, you know, training your cows to um re reinstill or reboot that herd instinct so that they're just more inclined to graze out there as one large group of cattle which would have a similar impact on the ground as having them combined with fence lines and then you go out there horseback um, or in the feed truck or wh whatever way you want to train them and you centralize them to where you would like them to graze once or twice every couple of days to to get them hooked on to you that way. So there's a lot of different ways to try to reboot the the seed bed the way that it was intended to when we had large cloven hooved bison roaming across the prairie. Yeah. Yeah. Now it sounds like you're you're maybe not all the way through that process, but as you look back on that last three or four years, what do you think you've done correct? And maybe what do you think you've done wrong? Mm. Oh, that's a long list. You sure we only got a half hour for this recording? <laughs> you know, one of the things that I really pride our operation on is, is we're a family first operation. And that really answers both of those questions as far as what we've done right and what we've done wrong. Um, there's never been a single day where a management decision that we have made here on the ranch has ever sacrificed our relationship as being a family. Um, and I think that 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 essence of that you know that community that culture that practice of being and kinship with one another is um, unfortunately something that a lot of segments of the industry have stripped our small-scale farming and ranching families from be being able to practice 
Um, but it's something that I feel is very well and alive here. Uh, what that does do though, is um, it, it can sometimes allow our uh, ranching obligations to come second <laughs> to family obligations. Um, and so it's all about finding that healthy balance. Um, and that's what I hope to continue to do right in the future is appreciating that the balance that you thought you were pursuing might not actually be, it might not look like what you thought it would look like. Um, and it's it's one of those instances where it's kind of a, a fluid line. It's constantly flexing and bending based on the resources and opportunities available and the people that are there at that time and, and just doing the best that you can, no matter where you're at. And I'm going to do my absolute darndest to carry that mindset forward. <laughs> well, I guess speaking of that, is there one or two particular things you wish you had done differently or done over? Um, yeah, um, we rec I've recently been preparing for um, participation at the Ranching for Profit School that's going to be taking place in Rapid City, South Dakota in a couple of weeks. And um, one of the principles that is talked about a lot in some of the pre-school um, pre homework is um, man not managing you're not supposed to manage for what you don't want. You're supposed to manage for what you want. Mm. And often I, in, in, it's, it's really changed my way of looking at the landscape, just that one little sentiment. And I've heard it several times before. I, I'm not brand new to the idea of some of the curriculum that the Ranching for Profit School puts out there, but in preparing to really immerse myself in that learning opportunity, for some reason, it seems to hit me differently. Um, there's several cross fences that we put in that were established because of I wanted to, I didn't want something to happen. So I put a cross fence there <laughs> instead of putting a cross fence in, in with the intention of what I wanted to have happen. Um, and so it just creates a little bit of um, a, a different, unique approach that that we have to be able to um, carry forward in how we reevaluate or reassess things moving forward. And, uh, yeah, I guess it's, it's more about mindset for me, as far as shifts or, or regrets or lessons learned than it is actual practices. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, that's interesting. I think that is a good concept. I, I know certainly even as a CPA, we sometimes plan for things that we don't want to happen versus, hey, we really should be planning. Here's where our goal is. Here's where we're going. And, and don't worry about what might happen. Let's just concentrate on what should happen and make sure it gets done. So yeah, that, that, that's yeah. a good point. Well, Kelsey, what we're going to do now is take a quick uh, break for a sponsor message, and then we'll come back and, and talk about some other things that uh, are occurring on the ranch and, and maybe outside the ranch. Get timely updates about taxation, accounting, succession planning, and other issues that are unique to farmers and agribusiness processors. Find out about major agribusiness events and how to comply with new laws that affect your business. Subscribe to Farm CPA at blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness and experience the CLA promise. blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness.
Welcome back, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm Paul Neifer, your host, and we're going to rejoin our conversation with Kelsey Scott from uh, from uh, North Central. Would it be North Central South Dakota, or is it more yep. Central Central? It's North Central South Dakota. So, uh, yeah. and uh, you had Google earlier. I didn't bring Google up, but I'm just <laughs> sort of guessing about where it would be based on you know. At least I know where Selby, South Dakota, is at. So, you know, yeah. you are a a you're an American Indian, and and like you said, you're the hundred and maybe the hundred and twenty fifth generation of, of being an American Indian in that area. What are some of the unique challenges and also the opportunities that you do face as an American Indian rancher? Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, I think that one of the things that my upbringing has taught me in um, the different cultures or religions that I was exposed to is an awareness of our relation to the land as a, or, you know, with nature in general, as being a part of nature. Um, we have a, a teaching that is, we're, we're all related. And that extends not only just to all of the humans, but to the four-legged, the wings, winged, the, the land, the inanimate objects. Um, and I think that that teaching has helped to form and shape my mindset around the management decisions that we practice here. And it really helps me to feel a lot more connected to the production styles and practices and um, the livestock and wildlife that we get to care for here. Uh, we get to um, function on the, uh, the range unit that we operate on through a lease arrangement with the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe. So our local regulatory authority is right here nearby for us. We're able to work with them to try to better the landscape that we are managing on. And um, as a voting constituent of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribal Nation, I also get a chance to voice who I think should be in leadership and helping us to form our laws and regulations around our natural resource management um, practices and, and rules. And I think that it's a really, it can be a really beautiful relationship between farmers and ranchers and community members and, uh, tribal politicians in figuring out how we can enhance and improve our food system locally in a way that is so regenerative and so rebuilt that we're able to start to help to rebuild the food systems in our surrounding communities. Um, we face so much historical underservice and a, a void of any sort of infrastructure investment for multiple generations that we definitely have a long way to go to repairing our food system, but we have the tools that are necessary to get that started really within an arm's distance. And, and so I think that the best way to move forward is to focus on making the future for hopefully my future children different than what I had to experience, which is different than what my dad has had to experience and what his dad experienced before him. So it's just trying to work together and identify ways to utilize the tools at our fingertips to get back to a more wholesome and healthy connection with our food. Do you see that, uh, so you're doing that within the the Cheyenne River uh, Sioux Tribe. Do you see that starting to maybe cycle out to other members in the tribe that are also in the ranching business, or is it still a little too early for that process to happen? 
Yeah, I often joke that I'm um, doing everything I can to support my competitors. <laughs> um, it's not our goal at DX Beef to feed the world. It's our goal to make a nutrient dense quality meat uh, product available for our local community. And quite frankly, we couldn't feed our entire community. Um, we want like minded farmers and ranchers to step up and to come along this learning process with us and figure out ways to help rebuild uh, marketable options for them to keep their product locally and to keep it locally in the form of quality food that our community members can eat. In the work that I get to do, uh, I work full-time as the director of programs for the Intertribal Agriculture Council, and we're a national nonprofit organization that promotes the use of Indian resources for the benefit of Indian country. Uh, we serve all 80,000 American Indian farmers and ranchers across the nation. And this isn't uh, a new or um, one of it, one of a kind sort of trend we're seeing. Uh, this is happening all over Indian country. And I'm really excited to be able to be a producer out there on the ground, living the experience and understanding the nuances of how to navigate all of the channels that you have to in order to be engaged in your local food system and then using that experience to help to inform and teach others how to navigate it so we can move the dial a little further to where we need it to be just a little bit quicker okay no i i think that's uh, definitely uh something to be promoted and hopefully uh, we achieve uh at least somewhere along that goal sooner rather than later. So that that definitely would be good. Um, now, I know that you certainly have an involvement with social media and so on. Uh, mm -hmm. Go through some of the social media uh, things that are you that you are involved in directly. Yeah, I do the majority of the marketing for our grass fed meat product that we sell. Um, uh, we have Facebook and Instagram channels that I try to put plenty of promotional fodder through. Um, primarily, it's featuring our product, um, trying to inform the consumer about our practices, uh, really just hoping to put that face of a farmer or rancher back onto um, that plate that our consumers are looking at uh, right now. There's such a distance between the majority of consumers and where their food is coming from. And um, it's been a really fun experience getting to actually have to sit down and think about what story I want our meat product to be telling. Um, and, and there's truly no better, more gratifying experience than to get a Facebook post back that says, we just ate the best DX beef T-bone. You know, I mean, <laughs> oh man, that is just, that'll make you smile from ear to ear all day long. And you'll go back to look at it just one, one or two more times throughout the week because it makes you feel like you're doing something right. And to know that the consumer had the option to reach directly out to that farmer or rancher and to, uh, you know, applaud them on doing a good job with that product. That's the really cool part is that the consumer is motivated to connect again uh, with the person who helped to put that product on their plate and to express their gratitude. Do you see, I, I know that you're 
primarily serving you know the local community but because of some of it, like in rapid city or sioux falls people are are getting used to having your product they love your product and so on do you see some of those people and non-indians coming to visit your ranch or or is there any of that going on right now yeah so another enterprise that we actually have on the ranch is the option for ranch vacationing or doing a working ranch uh, experience um we we like to I guess keep busy, but also figure out whatever way we can to try to reconnect people with the land and to learn um, all that we do here um, in trying to steward the land uh, to be more resilient and more diverse. We have um, kind of slowed down on booking any sort of travel onto the ranch through the pandemic, but it's we definitely look forward for a chance to be able to start inviting people back out to to see the landscape to connect with the the soil and the plants that are you know very key stakeholders in growing the product that our customers have come to love so they get to get to ride on those american quarter horses and so on <laughs> yep they do yeah yeah my my wife and i i had a client though this is probably 25 years ago that actually had sort of a working, and I don't know if dude ranch is the right word, uh, in central Oregon. And my wife and I went out there and, uh, I would say after a couple of days of riding horses, I certainly walked a little different for a couple of days. I, I, I do know that. So <laughs> it'll engage your core in ways you didn't know you could. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, I, I don't know if you ever watched the show Yellowstone, but, uh, you know, I think the episode before the last one, they had the little young kid and, and John Dutton, you know, sort of Kevin Costner's character was showing him how to ride a horse. And it says, you know, when the horse goes up, you go up. And when the horse goes down, you go down. But I sort of remembering those <laughs> days. So, but, but uh, and of course, my wife is like, people aren't really like that on that show in, re in real life. And I go, well, some maybe are, but just not that concentrated. So uh, I don't know if you ever seen yeah. that show. I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, we're getting close to the end of the of the podcast, and I always end with a couple questions. Uh, the first question is, um, what keeps you up at night? You know, um, my excitement about the work that I get to do really is what keeps me up at night. Um, I I just feel so privileged to get to have the experiences that I get to have. I'm so thankful for the generations that came before me and the work that they put in to make sure that I would have um, as great of an opportunity as I do have in my lifetime. And I owe it to the ones coming after me to work just as hard so that they feel um, satisfied and excited. And, uh, you know, they're sitting there awake at night because they they can't shut down the computer because they're so excited about a project they're working on, or they can't stop daydreaming about the new um, conservation infrastructure they're going to be building next spring. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of work to be done, um, so much so that if the circumstance and the environment surrounding a producer is not positive, it's, it's very, very easy for a producer to be overwhelmed. Um, and we, we see that with 
the um, statistics around well-being of our farmers and ranchers. And I'm, I feel very fortunate and privileged to be employed by a great organization that wants me to just dedicate my days in and out to helping other farmers and ranchers through my own experiences. And, and I will not uh, take that for granted. Well, good, good. And then my last question is always, what is what is your definition of success in farming? Yeah, for me, my definition of success in farming is um, figuring out how to correlate what I'm doing out there on a land on the land um, to being something that's in, intriguing to the next generation or intriguing to somebody that's not from this walk of life. Um, if if I can be so rooted and grounded in what we're doing that I can tell that story to people who don't know about this type of lifestyle, then it really goes to show that, um, you know, I'm practicing and living and breathing those philosophies that I'm trying to practice out there in nature. Well, good, good. Now, this is a very, you have a very unique experience. Well, I take that back. You are a farmer. All farmers, all ranchers have their own unique experience. Mm -hmm. And and really, that's what this podcast is about, is to is to present those unique uh, ranching and farming experiences that we all go through. I mean, I I grew up on a farm. I love farming. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm getting ready to go to a meeting. It's an internal CLA meeting. And they wanted you to do a little quick little bio. And it could be a little bit funny if you wanted it to be. And I let off with my passion is all things ag. You know, that's, yeah. that's that's my passion. And and actually, I think my wife is, I think I'm driving her crazy because I keep buying farmland all over the country. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, that's my passion. So I, I'm not going to quit. So yeah. <laughs> again, Kelsey, thanks a lot. And uh, one of these days, maybe if I get back to uh, Selby, South Dakota, I'll make sure to... Uh, uh, to go about 80 miles and stop by, at least when the pandemic gets over. Oh, that sounds great. I look okay. forward to the visit. Okay. Again, this is the Farm CPA Podcast uh, presented by Top Producer. This is Paul Neefer, your host, signing off. <laughs>